Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove, and today I'd like to talk about mind-body metaphysics. The basic uh, problem was stated by Descartes several hundred years ago when he wrote that there are basically two substances, matter and mind. And mind, he said, had no extension in space whatsoever. And when you think about it, where do your thoughts exist in space? You might say they exist inside your skull, but do they have weight? Do your thoughts have actual extension? Can you measure them? Descartes said no. However, we measure matter. Matter becomes the domain of science, and mind in that era became the domain of the church. And science sort of stayed out of the whole question of consciousness until quite recently. Now, science today is fundamentally materialistic. The mainstream position within neurophysiology, psychology, biology, and certainly physics is that consciousness is a function of the brain and the nervous system. It was what they call an epiphenomenon, that as the nervous system becomes sufficiently complex, consciousness emerges. Just as uh, when water gets sufficiently cold, ice emerges. One of the great philosophers of consciousness whom I interviewed for the original Thinking Aloud series, John Searle, used to put it this way. He said, the brain creates consciousness much the way the stomach creates digestion. Now, that problem would seem to be inconsistent with the data of parapsychology, especially data concerning the potential for life after death. And that's why one particular parapsychologist of great renown, Dr. Ed May, remains a physicalist. I suppose you could say be, by staying clearly in the mainstream scientific camp, he's managed to raise huge sums of money for parapsychology, at least by parapsychological standards, millions of dollars from the government at one time. Now, Ed May's philosophy is that because he's a physicalist, he thinks that precognition is the basis of all psychic phenomena. That's, that's his main hypothesis, and that precognition will one day be understood in physical terms, maybe through backwards causality, which is quite an interesting topic these days in physics. But it means that He's not very keen on psychokinesis or mind over matter, and he maintains that if I could come up with incontrovertible proof that life after death exists, some kind of proof that couldn't be explained away by the super ESP hypothesis, which was the subject of the previous segment on the In Presence series, then he would have to become a dualist. Now, I think he's completely wrong about that. I think these problems are unresolvable, and there is no good test that separates materialism from dualism. I'll explain why. Before I do, let me just tell you one thing. I've done about a dozen interviews on the new Thinking Aloud series with philosophers and other scholars, including Ed May, about the metaphysics of consciousness, and I'm going to link to it now. If you look at the upper right portion of your screen, the little letter I in a circle up there, if you click on that, you'll be able to download a 
a list, a detailed annotated list of a dozen interviews with um, these scholars on the metaphysics of consciousness. Now, I think Ed May is wrong because let's suppose for uh, a moment that we do come up with incontrovertible proof, some test that just uh, cannot be explained away by super ESP, and we show that life after death is real. At that point, Ed says he'll become a dualist, even though he hates dualism because he has no idea how mind and matter could interact with each other if mind is completely non-physical. My attitude is, no, if that day should ever come, materialism itself will expand to incorporate it, and it's already moving in that direction by looking at such things as hyperspace, higher dimensions of space itself. So a materialistic worldview might say, okay, yes, we survive after death in a hyperspace reality. It could be accommodated, and in fact, uh, a very detailed description of such a hyperspace reality is provided in the appendix to the uh, second edition of the Roots of Consciousness for which you should all have access if you um, view the New Thinking Aloud in presence segment on the Roots of Consciousness. The links are there. Now Stafford Betty is a philosopher who looked at the mind-body problem, and he chose what I guess I would call a, a Vedantic approach to it. He said, well, the way in which mind and matter interact, he's a dualist, and he accepts there are two separate worlds, but he talks about gradations. There are layers and layers of reality so that uh, in between hardcore matter and pure mind or pure consciousness, there's the etheric body, the astral body, the mental body, the Buddha body, and it's very similar to this uh, image that I'm showing you right now of the theosophical uh, 19th century vision of the human aura with different layers of substance becoming more and more subtle gradually so that mind and matter interact through these, they're called sheaths of, uh, or layers of, of reality. So th that would be his approach. Now, a, another approach different from either dualism or materialism is idealism. And this is an approach espoused by a great British empiricist, Bishop Barclay, who moved to the United States. He resided in Rhode Island in the 18th century, but the city of Berkeley, California, was named for him. He pointed out that we can never get outside of our own consciousness intuitively and in terms of common sense, I think practically everybody I know believes that uh, the outer world of reality, other people, automobiles, houses, dogs, and other creatures, and the air we breathe, it's, that external reality is real. We perceive it through our senses, and even though we only know it through our own consciousness, we think it's real. But if we want to be logical about it, how do we ever get outside of our own consciousness? How do we prove, for example, that we're not in the matrix somewhere and that all of this is being uh, 
programmed into our consciousness by higher beings of some sort. In fact, Bishop Barclay said, yes, it's the mind of God. That's where it all exists, and, and we're part of the mind of God, but we can't get outside of our own little consciousness. In the interview I did with uh, Thomas Lombardo on that question, he began pondering it and wondering, how do I get outside of my own consciousness? It nearly drove him crazy. So uh, that's a very interesting interview, how he dealt with that problem. And, and psychologists know that there's a condition called solipsism. It's a philosophical point of view where you come to believe that only you exist because all other people are only in your consciousness. That means that you're God. Each of us is God. Well, of course, in the uh, Hindu tradition, we are all God. But solipsism can be a very unhealthy psychological state for some people. The other point of view, which many people lean toward, and I have a, a very positive feeling about panpsychism, suggests that everything is one. There's only one reality. It's monistic, but it has a dual nature. In other words, sometimes it seems like our internal consciousness, sometimes it seems like the external world, but it's all the same, down to atoms, down to, uh, or up to, galaxies. The whole universe is conscious and alive. I love that point of view. I lean towards it, but to be honest, I realize there's no way of proving it, and maybe from a logical point of view, it's meaningless to say the whole universe is alive if there's no way to test that hypothesis. And I'm not aware of a way uh, yet. Maybe it's something people just grasp intuitively, and we have to leave it at that. I think it's important to have a familiar familiarity with all of these perspectives. Each viewpoint is like a different language, and you'll find that some people cling very strongly to materialism or idealism or dualism or panpsychism. It's part of their personality. It's part of their upbringing and social conditioning. I find that very interesting, but I guess you may know from previous segments of In Presence, I personally think it's healthy to tolerate the ambiguities involved and to realize that any one of these metaphysical viewpoints can probably be stretched to accommodate whatever data may arise in the future because we still have a lot to learn about the nature of space and the nature of time. And pretty much any viewpoint that we develop can change the way we think about space and time and begin to integrate the findings, especially the findings of parapsychology. I do think it's fair to say that conventional materialism, I sometimes call it promissory materialism, which is, well, we know the brain creates consciousness. We just don't know how yet, but eventually we'll solve it because the materialistic science has solved so many other problems so far. Well, this may be impossible. This may never be solved. It may be, in fact, that the brain doesn't create consciousness. Maybe the brain receives consciousness from a larger reality. These are all things to ponder. And I'll leave you with this thought. Where do you stand? Which metaphysical position feels right to you intuitively?
Thank you for being with me.